Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience podcast with Jeanette Blissett. Thought leaders explore the mindset, wellness, and wealth needed to realize next level transformation. Let's get started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissett. And today's guest is Josh Deck. He's a former paramedic practicing reactive medicine at that time, but now he's a science-based, intuitive, holistic nutritionist. In addition, he's the host of Reversible, the Gut Health Podcast. Josh, welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. Jeanette, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. I've got a lot of questions for you. This topic of gut health is quite popular right about now, but anything that becomes popular sometimes becomes trendy. And it bec- when it becomes trendy, it becomes a sort of a vessel, if you will, for everyone to weigh in on what they think having good gut health is. But mm. in reading some of the information you have on your website and others, it's estimated that on average, 72% of Americans are struggling with gut health issues. So this topic is going to open up an opportunity to really discuss what it is about the gut health and what people are experiencing that they may not attribute to gut health. So what is this mm-hmm. whole gut health phenomenon? It's really interesting because we understand gut health in the way of it being just the gut. We think about how do I digest? Am I bloated or am I not? Are my bowels normal? Are they not? Can I eat whatever I want or does food cause me problems? And that's about where most people draw the line with gut health. About 10 years ago, I got into personal training And I'd given that up long ago. I still have some clients I still see in the mornings early on, 5.30, 6.30, because it keeps me on a schedule. But I'm I'm pretty much strictly in the nutrition and gut disease space at this point. So it was cool layer building. Like you mentioned in the introduction there, I was a paramedic. It was reactive sick care, not proactive health care. And personal training shed a big light on that. And I saw people coming in all the time dealing with things like weight loss resistance, depression, anxiety, skin issues, arthritis, asthma, all kinds of stuff. And these things, every time we go to fix them, the common denominator was their gut. And so through a happy circumstance or happy chain of events, I call them happy accidents. I ended up getting involved in some seminars and I just got hooked on what they were talking about. The gut, my early twenties, went back to school, became a holistic nutritionist. And one thing led to another and a long and short ended up specializing in gut disease. So like you had said, 72% of Americans complain of gut issues once a week. And that complaint stat, we're dealing with things like constipation, diarrhea, cramps, pain, bloat, acid reflux, anything that's abnormal. And so to me, I say gut health. One, our external appearance is a direct reflection of our internal appearance. So if your insides are healthy, your outsides will be your performance, your anxiety, your skin, like acne, psoriasis, all those things are typically a reflection of the gut. And if you're digesting well and eating well, you don't feel bloated. You don't feel pain. That to me is gut health. It's not just the gut. It's also what the gut has to do with. It's interesting. Did you experience anything from a personal perspective or personal level that led you down that path? Because a lot of experts experience something on a personal level Mm -hmm. that led them to investigation or discovery. So I wanted to ask you that same question. That's a good question. And first of all, thank you for asking, but not many people do. And there is, there is a quite a heavy story there. So I know growing up, I've had joint pain and little things pretty much my entire life. I remember my knees like subluxing or partial dislocating, even like third and fourth grade, always loose ligaments. And later looking back now, I could see there's inflammation there. But the stuff that really hit me when I was probably, let's say 11, 12 years old, my parents both had gut issues growing up. I know my dad always struggled with gut issues. My mom had gut issues. She was always very gassy, very bloated, complaining of abdominal pain. And we went out one time, I was probably 11, 12, went out for McDonald's and we're living at home. So this is my stepdad now at the time, my mom's second marriage. And she went upstairs, she was laying in bed and she was having pain. She laid on her left side like she normally does just to pass the gas, just put a heating bag and hope things pass on their own. And it wasn't going, it was getting worse and worse. And my stepdad, Andy, he comes up and he looks at her and says, you okay? She says, just bad gas. It's fine. I'll be fine. Try to take an anti-nausea. She was getting nauseous, starting to look sick and green. And he says, he got this pit in his stomach and he says, we're going to the hospital. 
She says, I'm fine. I'm fine. She doesn't want to go. Right. Ambulance make her nauseous. And so he insisted he made her go. And thank God she did. She was in emergency surgery that night. Turns out she had perforated her bowel and she was actually leaking stool and other toxic contents into her abdominal cavity. And the surgeon said another three to four hours, you wouldn't be making it. And so it was really interesting for me at 11, 12 years old to go into a hospital room to see my mom lying there with this bag. And she's still sedated with the oxygen on her face and pale in color. And so I watched my mom almost die. And it's very interesting to shift. I often say as kids, especially boys, we talk about having superpowers and how cool it would be to be able to have I used to joke about goofy powers, like covering somebody in honey. So they're just sticky all the time and very uncomfortable, like shooting spaghetti out of my fingertips. But the world becomes very real very quickly when you watch a parent almost die. And the only power you wish you could have was to make them better. And so I had that ability through my teens. I went back to school, became a paramedic by age 18, 19, and doing what I'm doing now, specializing in gut disease. That's amazing. It really is. It brings me back to how... um... I might have been suffering from um, gut health issues earlier on. I, I had eczema as a child for a long time, I mean, really long time, and um, a little bit of asthma, just a little bit of the asthma, and um, always gassy. But I, I, I attributed the gas to uh, the diet that I was on. My parents mm-hmm. from the Caribbean. So we ate our share of vegetables and fruits, love those. But the one thing that I used to love is rice and beans. <laughs> Staple. <laughs> I was a little chubby as a child. And then of course, when you go into the teen years, you're trying to thin out a little bit. And then you go on to college and put on the freshman 20 or whatever it is. And you try to get rid of that. Or but- freshman 40, depends who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, I'm only five feet tall. So 40 would have killed me. Okay. <laughs> That's a weight height ratio issue. Yeah. I'm telling you. So I remember all of those times. And I just wonder if had it not been for me discovering later on practitioners like Dr. Gundry and eat right for your type. Right for your blood type. Another one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then of course, most recently, Dr. Mindy Pels. And I'm really focusing on riding the ship there as it related to certain foods. So I wanted to ask you about this. Since you're in the holistic nutrition space, there's a lot of blogs and and books about specific foods that are better for you, your yes foods and no foods, and ones that have lectin or don't have lectin, those who have gluten, don't have gluten. What's your take Mm -hmm. on all of that? Wow. That is a big question to unpack. So we want to keep this interview within an hour, not a whole weekend seminar, right? So I'll, I'll try to condense. Okay. Um, in general, particularly in the United States, gluten and dairy are a no-go. I'm not against dairy, particularly raw dairy. I do. There's a lot of emerging evidence now that raw dairy is one of the best things you can actually consume. But think about it, when you pasteurize dairy, there's 60 plus different enzymes in there, 18 different fatty acids, and they all get denatured and broken down and beaten up through the pasteurization process. That's 212 degrees Fahrenheit or 102 Celsius, I believe. Maybe it's hundred, somewhere in there, but point being, you heat them up, it breaks things down. You can't break it down the same. On top of the processing, the antibiotics, all the junk that's in it, dairy, especially in the US, tends to be highly inflammatory. American dairy and American food has been banned in many countries, ground beef, pork, chicken, due to the chlorine wash. They use something called RGBH, RBGH, recombinant bovine growth hormone in cattle, which is, of course, going to make them overproduce extra milk for the dairy production, but it's also known to cause genetic mutation, bone fractures, and even cancers, all kinds of issues. A lot of problems we see with our food production system. Gluten is always a no-go for everybody across the board. And this is the work you can actually find. Dr. Tom O'Brien talks about it a lot, referencing lots of work from Dr. Alessio Fasano, talking about the leaky gut and how gluten is actually identified by your body as a pathogen bacteria and creates leaky gut. And so gluten, especially for those with autoimmune disease, absolute no-go. It can trigger autoimmune or inflammatory processes one bite can trigger up to three months of inflammation. So even if you say, I get people all the time, I only have gluten once every couple of weeks. Great, you're always inflamed. You can have it once every three months and you will always be inflamed. And so there's a lot of issues with that. <clears throat> Our gluten today is not like the gluten of many years ago. Everything we have, it's covered in folic acid and glyphosate. And we use 17,000 or more pesticides in North America 
We Our consumption of the variety of pesticides we've consumed over the last 30 years is up 19 times. We spray over a billion pounds of them on our crops every year. And so to answer your questions in a roundabout way, there are no-goes. Refined sugar, the average American consumes over 100 pounds a year. It's something like 101 point something pounds, about 130 grams a, a day, which is immense. And so that's got to be what, four cans a pop, five cans a pop every single day. So sugar is a no-go, gluten's a no-go, of course, alcohol, there's zero benefits ever. All that science of the past has long been since debunked, processed, refined, and all those things. And so if we look at even the depth of eating right for your blood type, yes, there's merit and science to it. But as a gut specialist, I specialize in inflammatory bowel disease, so Crohn's and colitis. Those eating for the blood type, they are the very bottom of my personal totem pole right now. They don't really matter as much. The stuff I want to take care of is the basics, toxins in the home, the things that are affecting the immune system, leading to systemic inflammation, the things contributing to gut disease, dysbiosis or bacterial imbalances, mold toxicity, Lyme disease, the things I see more commonly, mitochondrial dysfunction. All these are things that we see in my practice more so driving what appears to be in the Western medicine world, autoimmune conditions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I appreciate insight on that. And one of the things that I've always been curious about is um, leaky gut. Mm -hmm. What what exactly is that? So it's funny you say that. I love the term of leaky gut. I'm very, absolutely, I believe it's a real thing. Some doctors still don't. And there are some very prominent doctors in my sphere. Some of the best in the world, I would argue, some of the most published who still go, ah, leaky gut's not real. Or they don't like the term leaky gut for whatever reason. But the science seems pretty clear. And so we're talking about leaks in your gut, literal leaks. And so we think about leaky gut is, let's start with the basics. If we consume something we shouldn't, for example, gluten, great example, or some kind of toxin that your body doesn't want. I'm sure we've all experienced, you eat something 10 minutes later in the bathroom with the runs. And what's happening, your body's trying to clear something out. So these guys that stand, they're one of the lead leaders of leaky gut, we'll say for gluten, they sit between the stomach and the small intestine called toll-like receptors, TLR4, toll-like receptor number four. And they stand there like they're standing guard and they will determine if things come in or things don't come in. And so these guys, when they detect something like gluten, for example, they look at you and go, hey, you're a pathogen and want to get rid of you easier down than up most of the time. And so what it does is it opens the floodgates, pushes everything through. There's leaks. So the gaps between your gut lining or your small intestine, they actually open up. Now for reference, if things want to pass through the gut, they actually pass through the membrane, the cells shuttle things along and they transfer from inside your intestines to your blood and to everywhere else to circulate around the body. It's only one cell thick. It's very thin, like thousands of the width of of a strand of hair. And so it's very thin. Things pass through normally. They pass through membranes like a game of Red Rover. They're all holding hands and things can slide through. But in leaky gut, those Red Rover arms open up. And what it does in gluten, for example, or something you should not eat, your body intentionally creates leaks to bring water in, like hosing down a driveway to flush things out. That's that diarrhea you get. But the problem is leaky gut, if sustained long enough, it gets one, the leaks get wider and bigger. And two, it becomes bidirectional. Instead of water just leaking in as a defense mechanism, a healthy defense mechanism, much like inflammation is there to heal you and help you, leaky gut does the same. But sustained inflammation, sustained leaky gut, sustained processes meant to heal, repair, or clean become problematic. And so now these leaks in the gut, these gap junctions widen even further. And something called zonulin gets released, which also precipitates those gaps widening. And now we not only have water leaking in, but we have macromolecules. So big pieces of food, pathogens, bacteria, toxins, whatever else now leak through, get right into your bloodstream, right into your lymphatic system, circulate around the body. They can actually, a lot of them can pass the blood brain barrier leading to all kinds of issues. And this is why we know there's a paper by Dr. Alessio Fasano called all diseases start in the leaky gut, talking about the role of zonulin and leaks in the gut. And we can connect almost every single disease you can possibly imagine directly to the gut, some kind of influence, whether it's MS, diabetes, ADHD, autism-like symptoms, arthritis, asthma, depression, anxiety, all these things can be linked right back to the gut. In fact, 93% of the leading causes of death are directly connected to the gut. We're talking heart disease, cancers, strokes, respiratory issues, diabetes, asthma, kidneys, liver, 
hypertension, Parkinson's, like septic, all these things. There's, there's a list on the CDC's own website of 15 leading causes of death. 14 of them are connected to the gut. The rest of them are suicide, homicide, accident, injury, right. which means everything that we're calling a normal cause of death is in fact not normal and in many cases entirely preventable. Josh, I'm getting depressed. Stop. <laughs> you should get angry, get mad. Every aspect of our life is connected to our gut and gut bacteria. Oh my God. There's alarm. Just scratching the surface. Yeah. I realized that. And I wondered through your explanation of how the gut responds to certain things that it knows are not good for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I have allergies to certain mm-hmm. food and I know how my body responds to certain. This is interesting. I've always been allergic to coconut, coconut water, coconut milk, flesh of coconut my entire life. Okay. Now my folks are from the Caribbean, so they put coconut in every damn thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> everything got coconut milk in it, got coconut in it and everything. I was sick my entire childhood. Sure. Um, later on in my adulthood, I was working with a nutritionist and I told her about my allergy to coconut. And she says, have you ever tried coconut oil? I said, no. She said, I want you to buy some and try some on your tongue to see if you have a reaction to it. And I did. And I don't have a reaction to the oil of coconut, okay? And I started to think about other allergies like to cashews or almonds or macadamians. And I'm allergic to those nuts, but not to walnuts and pecans and peanuts. But anywho, I'm wondering about the body's intelligence as it relates to those kinds of things that it has identified in, in a person like myself. And I'm sure there are other people my body has identified those molecules or whatever they are as something that's harmful to me. Mm-hmm. It goes into some type of response mode because a lot of people suffer from food allergies. Sure. So we have to keep in mind 70 to 90% of our immune system comes from our gut, right? A lot of our immune cells, our, our T cells and B cells and all these responders are actually grown and matured inside of our gut. And so we have something in there as well called the GALT. That's your gut-associated lymphoid tissue, which is a large part of that immune response and immune pathways and detoxification. And if we have inflammation in those areas, it can actually compromise the production or the housing and regulation of our immunity, which can leave us a bit more vulnerable and susceptible. And the more vulnerable something is, look at chihuahuas. They're a prey animal, but they're some of the most aggressive freaking creatures on earth. And oftentimes our immune systems can do the same. They can become overreactive when they are we'll say in danger. And so in a lot of these cases, looking at allergies, if someone comes in with an allergy response that they never had before, we'll call it food sensitivities, right? There are five different, what we call immunoglobulin responses. Many people are familiar with IgGs or even IgEs. These are immunoglobulins. We use the acronym MADGE, that's M-A-D-G-E. So there's five different immunoglobulins. So IgM, right? This immunoglobulin M, that's your first line of response. So that's when there's an infection or something acute that happens. So you eat something you shouldn't, you have an allergy response, you have, or rather you have an infection in your hand from stepped on a nail or something. So IgA, it's really found in high concentrations around mucosal linings. We see it particularly in the, like the gut and respiratory tract, but think about mucosal linings, things like soft, squishy mouth. We, so we have oral, we have nasal, vaginal, rectal, these types of, of surfaces. And so they, they help prevent the attachment of toxins on there. And so there's these different pathways of the immune system that can become compromised when it's weakened. But if you have somebody, for example, has a weakened IgA, this mucosal layer, they have inflammation in their gut. They're not producing and maturing their immune cells properly. Not only that, but if your gut's inflamed, you're using additional resources like vitamins, minerals, because your body's trying to heal you. You're also inflamed, so your body's not able to take them in properly, break down, digest, and absorb. So now you're in the red, you're in debt. It starts pulling from other areas. You might find your teeth feel more sensitive because you're drawing minerals from your teeth. Maybe your skin gets irritated, your hair gets brittle. We're drawing things away as well. And so on top of all this, now your body's in high alert. It's depleted. You have leaks in the gut. And so what ends up happening is your body, when things leak through the gut that shouldn't leak, we get these food sensitivities. So macromolecules, maybe you're eating a piece of chicken. You've eaten chicken your entire life. Now you have gut issues. Now every time you eat chicken, you get bloat, you get diarrhea, you get something because these macromolecules now leak through the lining of the gut. They enter the bloodstream. Your body says, hey, 
you shouldn't be there. That's too big. This is, we don't know what to do with this. So it sends an immune signal down, goes pop, red flag. Next time you see this guy, security team comes and jumps on top of it. And so we start to develop these food sensitivities on top of having inflammation, other issues in any of our immunoglobulins, MADG or E. Now your IgE, that is the one associated with allergic responses. And so when the immune system encounters an allergen, something that triggers that reaction, we get this production of IgEs and it binds onto these mast cells. They produce your histamines, that allergy response, the ones that make you itchy, the ones that make you swell. And so when that, that allergen exposure comes in, these cells release that histamine, other chemicals can lead to allergic symptoms. But if we don't patch the gut and we keep introducing these allergens over and over, your body wants to get it out. So it increases and heightens its immune response to those things. It's like ramping up its defense mechanisms. And so these allergies can develop very quickly, very easily. But if we get people with food allergies, food sensitivities, many of them can actually be managed over time or removed and reduced. Like for example, you can't eat chicken now. You might in six months after we patch up your gut because you're not getting that same leak of these macromolecules. Your body knows what to do with them and it can really alleviate a lot of that. People with other allergies, seasonal allergies, heightened immune responses once healing up the gut can often have those reduced. I've even seen it in other responses like asthma. Many clients I've seen come in with other issues somewhere in the body like asthma, or other inflammatory conditions that are completely disappeared after healing their gut. That's only amazing. My um, allergic responses might be a result of a malfunction of my gut mm. <laughs> or you an indication of my gut health. Never know. Absolutely. And it's always worth testing, right? You can always test for a lot of these things. Let me ask you about the testing factor. The other factor that I want to talk about also is mm. inflammation. What is inflammation and is there a physical manifestation of it or can you be inflamed and not know it? And how do you test for it? Great question. So to be inflamed and not know it, it can happen because it's a spectrum of severity, right? People who might be very marginally, very mildly inflamed may not know it. If you stub your toe or break your leg like shit, that's inflamed. It hurts. And so there's levels of inflammation, but inflammation is a defense mechanism. And so what happens is your body, when you have some kind of issue. Maybe you stub something. Maybe you have an infection. Inflammation is your body dilating blood vessels, bringing excess white blood cells and things to heal the area. That dilation can also apply extra sensitivity or pressure to nerves in the area leading to these pain responses. But inflammation is a good thing, right? Like leaky gut, it's a good thing in short bursts because your body is ramping up you got a fire in the car, a fire in the house. The firefighter comes to put them out. That's inflammation, that excess congestion that you're feeling. And so it's there for a good reason. So when your body has these levels of inflammation, what it's doing, like I said, it's trying to repair. But when it's sustained, it starts to get worse, right? Progressive inflammation is wear and tear. I describe the severity, the spectrum, like walking around in a pair of shoes without socks on. A little bit of irritation, your body's letting you know, hey man, probably do something about this. Maybe be cautious. You keep walking at blisters. You keep walking, it will bleed. You could wear down to the bone, right? Cut your whole foot off with it long enough. You keep going depending on how severe the trigger is. So in the same sense, we have these inflammatory processes in the body that go unmanaged, unregulated, unchecked. And this starts to lead to breakdown. I specialize in bowel disease. And I saw somebody who came in with ulcerative colitis. Now she was supposed to start months and months ago. Things came up, delays happened, and it is what it is. After about a year of, of following up, checking in, she was back in the fourth out of the hospital. Unfortunately, she never had a chance to come in and get started on the program to fix her gut. And by the time she went in, she had a perforated bowel, just like my mom did. She went back to the hospital. She opted to just give me a bag and we'll try to repair this later. When they grabbed her intestine, now your intestines, I'm sure you've held sausage casings and other things are very tight, very stringy, very elastic, very fibrous. They're dense. When they grabbed her intestine, it fell apart like wet paper. And so that inflammation over these last, last decade had created so much wear and tear inside of her body on her tissues, it destroyed the structural integrity. And this is one of the dangers of having inflammation long-term. Maybe it's just something benign like arthritis, which again could be coming from your gut because arthro is jointitis is inflammation. So it's just joint inflammation. We go, I just have it. You can't just have it. Inflammation doesn't just happen, right? Autoimmune diseases don't just fall out of the sky and drop on your head. They have to have a trigger. And so what led to the inflammation in the first place? And that's what we want to start looking at. When people talk about inflammation, can we have it and not know? Absolutely. It depends on how mild or severe and how good or bad the inflammation is. It depends on all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, if you have inflammation and don't know now, you will know eventually. So how do you test for it? 
couple of ways. It depends on, of course, where it is. We can do basic blood labs. We can check for something called CRP, that C-reactive protein, shows a lot of systemic inflammation. You can check all kinds of markers. In the bowel, for bowel disease, they check for calprotectin, which is actually a byproduct of neutrophils, so one of your five white blood cells. And the more white blood cell presence, the more calprotectin, the more inflammation we know you have because you have more firefighters on scene. We can check for all kinds of stuff. We can check for what's called an organic acids test. Acids are byproducts. Organic acids are byproducts of what your cells produce. Now, whether you have something in there like candida, for example, produces specific acids, you can test on these urine tests. And we can assume, yep, there's candida in the system, even though you may not feel it. Maybe you've got acne. I'm actually, I'm, I'm 31 years old. I'm getting acne on my neck and my arms right now because I actually had a really gnarly sinus infection last year. Long story short, it was a root canal 15 years ago that chewed through the bone and created an infection, but it was a really nasty staph infection, climbed up to my third sinus from behind the cheekbone to the nose, all the way to the forehead and swallowing all that infection and trying to get it out all the time, created infection in my gut. I now have a candida issue I'm getting rid of. And that fungal, those byproducts are being pushed through my skin, creating acne. And so these inflammatory processes can be tested or even observed in many cases. Very interesting. There's so much to this topic. I have a friend who um, is an avid golfer. He plays twice and sometimes three times a week. And after he plays, he's in such great pain. His, his legs, his hands, his wrists. His, I'm like, why do you even play? He loves the game. But my thought process for him is that at some point it will need to be addressed. And the question is that a surgical procedure on his knees or oh. is that more of a gut check to find out what other things are going on? I mean, he's simply inflamed from head to toe. That could be very easily explained in many cases. The challenge here is he'll go to his doctor. He goes, one, you're getting old. The challenge is now a lot of Western medicine has accepted age as a factor for pain. And it doesn't make any sense. There's a big difference and our food and our quality of life and all the things we have in our culture today, the things we eat, the things we drink, what goes into our food. Why do we need trisodium phosphate in Lucky Charm cereal? They use that in rat poison. Like, why do we need this in our food? And so there's so many toxins that are known to make us sick. Pesticides are known to cause hormonal issues, genetic issues, inflammation linked directly to cancer. And yet it's in our food. The FDA says, yeah, no problem. That's a whole nother line of thought. When we dive into the FDA funding in big pharma and the whole incestuous finance circle there. But the idea being he's inflamed everywhere. And that inflammation, his doctor will go, well, it's because you're getting old and you just have arthritis. Here's a pill. If we look at different cultures, look at a lot of indigenous tribes living in the jungle still, living off the land, eating food that's non-contaminated or minimally contaminated from our first world countries they have elders. We have elderly. And there's a big distinction between the two of those to see how our quality of life is as we age. We normalize a steady decline after 30, 40, 50 years old. We normalize medication. 60 plus percent of adults over 50 or 60 years old in the US are on regular prescription medications. I believe it's two or more. And so that's the best business model, right? People get sick, you sell them a, a quote cure that just band-aids the symptoms. So his inflammation head to toe can be a combination of other things, toxins in the body. It could be his gut. Knees are a big one. I see wrists and shoulders. I had a client years ago. I've done a lot of my personal training. I did a lot of rehab and physiotherapy type work as well, working and shadowing with chiropractors and, and therapists of all kinds. People come in all the time with just simple dysfunction. You need an osteopath or a chiropractor because what happens, for example, carpal tunnel. We call it carpal tunnel syndrome because your carpal bones have literal tunnels in them, which your tendons run through. Now, if your muscles, for example, in your forearm get really tight from repetitive use, or maybe your neck is a little bit off, it's inhibiting the power supply of the muscles down the shoulder, neck, arm. They become tight to strengthen themselves. They want to become stable. So they become tight instead. When muscles are tight, they strain at tendons or ligaments, the connective tissue on the end. And that will lead to inflammation in the carpal joint, which your doctor says it's carpal tunnel syndrome. Here's anti-inflammatories. It's actually a muscle issue, which is a nerve issue, which comes back to your neck. Go see a chiropractor or an osteopath, right? So there's so many other very easy correlations. Same thing with knee pain and sciatica. Oftentimes that's a functional issue of bone and joint or neurological leading to a disproportionate use of one muscle leading to a strain in the tendon. Anybody listening with knee pain, look up something called PFS, patella femoral syndrome. And that's just an overuse and a strain in the patella tendon, which is creating too much traction, 
water and inflammation builds up behind the knee. But again, your doctor goes, ah, it's just bad knees. And they do freaking knee replacements on people who could simply foam roll and do some hinging exercise and be fixed in four weeks. It's a travesty how Western medicine deals with inflammation. I wanted to ask you from a nutrition standpoint, where do you stand on an equal opportunity eat? You mentioned the lucky charms. I can't get over that. I can't mm-hmm. get the cereals for the children. I simply cannot. If I'm going through the middle to get to the perimeter of the store, I try not to look in people's shopping carts. I try I not. I know. I feel so judgy. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why are you buying that cereal for your child? I don't understand it. Yeah. But anyway, getting back to nutrition, you call yourself or you're known as a holistic nutritionist. Okay. Let's talk a little bit. Holistic. A lot of people I get all the time, like, I'm not really interested in chants and crystals. I'm like, oh no, that's not what we do. That's not holistic. Uh, You're thinking of a shaman or a witch doctor. (laughs) So what we do holistic means full picture, full body. When somebody comes in, for example, with gut disease, they see the title nutritionist and where I deal with ulcerative colitis and Crohn's, they think I've tried all the diets and it goes far beyond that. We're doing lab testing. We're looking at um, all kinds of things that are technically out of my scope, which is why I work with a lot of doctors as well. So we're looking at GI mapping and stool sampling, urine tests, blood tests, hair sampling, looking at organic acid testing and all kinds of functional medicine protocols. We're looking at history. If someone comes in to see me, for example, and they're dealing with blood pressure issues, we can do a genetic test to see if they have certain SNPs in their genes leading to poor use, a very common one, MTHFR. There's a certain SNP that leads to a poor use of folic acid or artificial vitamin B9. So they might need a methylfolate. Long and short, low use of B9 or low B9 in the body can lead to an elevation of an amino acid called homocysteine, which can drive up blood pressure. And if your entire family history has high blood pressure, I'm going to make a just a wild guess. You've probably got this SNP. I'm going to give you some methylfolate, like a really usable form of B9, like an L5 or something. And boom, blood pressure fixes itself nine and a half out of 10 times. And so we look holistic as in everything. Now, when it comes to nutrition, I often get asked this question. Do I say plant-based? Do I say vegan? Do I say animal-based, carnivore? All of the above. I've used all the above for myself. Personally, I've never felt worse than on a vegan diet. Some people thrive and that's great. I find it's very difficult to thrive on a vegan diet. However, people with gut issues, bacterial overgrowths, for example, probiotics are live bacteria, right? They're like fish in a fish tank. Prebiotics are the fish food. Postbiotics with the fish poop. Now in the ecosystem of a fish tank, something eats that poop. Now, good news is our body can use that bacteria poop because they poop vitamins and minerals and fatty acids and all kinds of good stuff for us. But if I have an overgrowth, a lot of that production is going to be toxins or toxic. And so if I'm feeding them fermentable, digestible carbohydrates and sugars and things from vegetable starches, and I'm feeding the overgrowth, there's too much poop in the tank. The ecosystem collapse, it becomes toxic. And on the other hand, so I can give those people carnivore diets, nothing but red meat and water. I'm a big fan of that one for a lot of gut disease. And that doesn't feed the overgrowth. There's so much science contradicting left and center. So every, I'll preface with this, every study I can give you, there's another to contradict it whether it's paid and bias or whether it's randomized control with no financial bias to the funder. But unfortunately, science is very biased these days. And 99% of scientists agree with whoever's paying them the most. So what I look at is intuitive eating, number one. That's very important. Cravings happen for a reason, right? Almost every woman on earth can attest to the fact that she has at one point or does actively crave chocolate during her period. That's because the cocoa contains iron. You're losing blood. There's magnesium. There's sugar. We need the carbohydrates in there. Women will need that to produce progesterone during their cycle. And so there's a lot of ups and downs, but that food, your body intuitively knows it has what I need. So give me that chocolate. And that's why it's the ultimate food. Plus it's delicious. On the other hand, if someone's craving sugar, you're probably lacking energy nutrients. One night my wife was really craving. She said, I'm just craving a chocolate. I'm craving an ice cream. I said, tell you what, have this spoonful. I gave her a tablespoon of fish oil. And I said, just take this omega-3 fish oil half an hour. If you're still craving, we'll go and get it. Craving was gone. Her body was craving energy and nutrients. So intuitive eating is a big part. Now that's different from I drive past McDonald's. It smells really good. That's not intuitive eating. That's an addiction. (laughs) That's engineered, biochemically engineered food with 300 (laughs) ingredients to make your brain think it's good for it. And that's very different when it comes to whole foods. So I have created, recommended over 21, 22 different types of diets, high FODMAP, low FODMAP, high carb, low carb, plant-based, animal-based, the works, everything in between, very mixed diets. And personally, I do find that people tend to thrive a lot better on an animal-based diet, more meat heavy with the occasional fruits and maybe some vegetables. 
And again, many people argue, I get people all the time. I'm vegan. I'm doing great. I'm like, perfect. My clients feel like shit when they're vegan. So I make them animal-based and they do better. I tried vegan eight months or eight, eight weeks, rather every microgram of everything. I checked all my nutrients. I ate the same foods, varied them where I had to made sure everything was just in check. Every gram of everything was there. And I'd never felt worse in my life. The second I had a steak, I ate it the next day. Energy was back to normal. My joints didn't hurt. Sexual function was back. Migraines were gone. It's a miracle. Like I just felt better. <laughs> it was incredible. I'm like, I just ate a fatty piece of meat. <laughs> and so the arguments, here's what I say. I don't think inherently all plants and vegetables are bad. Some carnivores will absolutely disagree because of plant mechanisms and lectins and all that stuff. But I think our biggest problem outside of the plants maybe having defense mechanisms is not the foods themselves, but our food production practices in North America. Absolutely. Yeah. Covering things in pesticides, artificializing this GMO that Russia, Vladimir Putin, whether you like him or not. Yeah, I'm sure the dude's killed people with his bare hands and his time in the KGB. You may not like him as a human, but he's done some great stuff. I will say, number one, they banned fake meat, as did Italy, all this lab manufactured stuff. And he also made it a crime to grow GMO crops because they recognize how bad they are for people. But the FDA, come on through, no problem. And yet we spend the most money in North America, particularly the USA, spends the most money on healthcare in the world, but has some of the sickest people on planet earth. So therein lies the opportunity we all have to approach this in a manner that helps us to have the type of life that we want to have as it relates to our health. Uh, longevity, uh, making the kind of choice that will result in feeling better, looking better, and basically being better versions of ourselves or the best versions. But we have the opportunity to make that choice. That's right. And, uh, without the information, the foundational information, some people find it difficult to make the right choice. So they still shop in the aisles of stores and they still buy based on the label, what it says, fat-free, sugar-free, this and that. We're still blinded or just confused. So having guests like you, Josh, on my show to help propagate the information that will help our citizens, if you will, of the world to make better decisions about their food choices, it's greatly appreciated. It's a pleasure to do it. It's funny you talk about that. Like I just done an episode recently on my show, episode 24. I call it the free range, all natural loopholes the industry uses to make more money. And it's really interesting because we are in an uphill battle. The deception is so very real. Like, free run, grass grass fed, grass finished, cage free, farm raised. Most of these terms mean nothing. Look at free range, for example, or free run. A lot of these terms, they have to have regular access to outdoors. They could be cooped up in a large pen with 10,000 other birds and have a little window to go to a cage, like a balcony that has outside air. That's called free range or cage free. Chickens aren't raised in cages, they're raised in coops or pens. So cage free means nothing. Farm raised. We, all animals that we eat are raised on farms. So it means nothing. Doesn't mean it just, it's a romanticized term that has a small town lovely feel that makes us think we're getting a better option or a better product. They can charge more money for it. We really have to understand. That's why I made episode 24 on my show was to really break these down. What does it mean to actually read your labels beyond just ingredients and chemicals? Because there is so much deception that is allotted and allowed both in the chemical manufacturing, like natural flavors. They're as bad as artificial flavors. It's basically perfume for your tongue. It could be hundreds of chemicals. The only thing that makes a natural flavor is that the original source of flavor happened to be made from was from a natural thing, but it can be so mutilated and bastardized and chemically treated. There's nothing natural left in it by the time it's done. And it's called a natural flavor and it's packaged in craft paper. And we go, oh, this is going to be really nice for me. It's organic. It's whole. It's natural, but it's all junk. And so our food industry is just the worst. And this can be really overwhelming for listeners and very anxiety inducing because now they're going, I can't eat this. I can't eat that. Can't eat processed, can't eat gluten, can't eat dairy. What can I have? I can't have my breakfast bagel. This is why I'm like, you know what? Just eat meat. You'll be fine (laughs) for the most part. But on the other hand, this is where it becomes so helpful to shop local because we do vote with our dollar. Ultimately, if we stop buying these other things, If everybody tomorrow, everybody on planet earth downloaded the exact same thought and we put it out there and everybody downloaded said, I'm not buying junk from the aisles. I'm not buying processed food. There's a bunch of bullshit floating around right now on social media about all these big air quotes here. My fingers, food elitism going well for convenience and health and finances and blah, blah, blah. Stop spreading this message about bad food and and shaming people. 
First of all, that's stupid. <laughs> Second of all, you could use that argument with anything like you know, English elitism, stop teaching the English language and grammar. Like it matters and it's important to educate ourselves and no processed foods are not good for you. And it's just, it's money. These people are actually funded. It's now been very blatantly shown the studies proving or, or quote proving or showing that processed food and the other things are good are funded by the people making the food. So there's oh, a huge bias and it's cherry picked and make friends with farmers. I don't care if you live in New York City, you got to drive three hours, go out on a weekend, get some friends, carpool, split the gas, buy a couple of coolers, go to a farmer, buy a half a cow, split with your friends on a freezer. There's ways to do it. We're just not used to in our culture doing things in a community. I had a friend of mine, he's, he's an Arab fella, and he explained to me why a lot of Arab guys you'll see driving around Middle Eastern cultures, they'll drive like Lamborghinis and fancy cars and they work at a pizza parlor. The reason that happens is he says a lot of them will come together as a family. They share a house, they share expenses, they share the car, and they live in a very community feel. So they do a lot of things the right way. We are all about my space, my car, my apartment, my house, my this, my that. And so we separate culturally. It creates a, a culture of lack where a lot of us don't have things. And so we, we end up missing out on food and opportunity because of it. That goes right to the mindset piece, to the mindset piece. You mentioned buying local. And I'm here in this Phoenix Valley community. There are a lot of local farmers that are raising healthy chickens. You can get really good eggs from every week where you're at this place called the Arizona Worm Farm. And mm. they grow everything. And um, it's all good stuff. Their eggs are the best eggs. So that's the only place we buy our eggs from. The vegetables are bought at the Phoenix downtown market or the uptown market in Phoenix to support the local growers. From a personal perspective, I've stopped buying fruits and vegetables from the local supermarket and have mm. transitioned to buying those things from the actual local growers, the local farmers. Same thing with the eggs, also for the beef as well. Mm. The fish comes from Alaska, reality. Okay, yes, it takes a little bit of money to actually place the order and have it shipped to you, but everyone has opportunities to make choices in their life, and this is the choice that we've made. But mm. there is an element of awareness and value that we have to place on the decisions that we make as it relates to our health and well-being and, and how we choose to live our life. And going back to what you were saying about being a vegan or vegetarian, I have done that as well. Many times I've gone just the vegan route for a short period of time. Of course, the vegetarian route for a short period of time. But I always felt better having a balance, some type of um, meat protein, if you will. So I know for me that works well. Yeah. Personally, like I said, I'm very animal based and a lot of people, maybe we'll tie the two conversations here. There are food deserts. We call them people who live in rural communities where everything's imported or the vegetables they have to buy are the ones that will last longer on the shelves. So they're radiated, like actual radiation on their way through from foreign countries, tropical countries to kill stuff. And maybe it's more expensive. But if you're driving a new car and you have a new cell phone every two years and you're constantly upgrading at a $500 pair of Gucci shoes, it's priorities. And so oh. buying that good meat and spending the money on the right things to diversify your diet a bit more, that does, there's a spectrum, of course, there's, there's total financial poverty. I see a lot of that people getting what they can just to fill their bellies from food banks and homeless shelters. That's a different story. But the 90% the of society, oftentimes it is priorities. Like you, you buy a six pack of beer and a couple of packs of cigarettes and you're worried about your food budget. If you're, like I said, you're upgrading your cell phone. Like you look at your monthly payment plans. Like, dude, sell the car and buy a used one. More challenging now in this day and age with the market, but there are a lot of options. We just don't like them. And yes. it's our priorities. Do you live in a rural area in a food desert? Cool. Like you love your quiet? Perfect. What do you love more? The quiet or the food quality? And, and so there's always compromises. And I realize it's not that black and white and someone's going to take offense and attack me for it. And I don't care. <laughs> the point is, I just don't give a shit about people's feelings. This is a science debate or a science topic. And the idea here is that we have to look very starkly. Mark Devine, he's a Navy SEAL, created SEAL Fit, wrote a bunch of books. You may know him. He talks about your witness. Now he talks about it in the sense of emotions and how we perceive ourselves from the outside to be the witness, the objective witness outside. When we make emotional reactions and decisions. How do I perceive or how does somebody else perceive me with as, as much of a non-biased lens as possible? And we can take that same witness and look at our own life and lifestyle. I could live in a basement apartment instead of a top floor and it would be cheaper. I could save the money there. 
Do I want to compromise my lighting quality and amount of windows for my food quality? Maybe not, but you have to look at that and make that decision and come to your own conclusion. And that's the whole point of that one is that there is often wiggle room more so than we think because we don't like the discomforts. You talked about food deserts in rural areas. However, my experience has been food deserts in the highly Mm -hmm. populated cities where there are basically not as much opportunity for healthy foods, lots of fast food restaurants, um, Mm. and that's basically what they pitch. Back in the day, they used to advertise alcohol on the billboards Mm. or a cigarette on the billboards and fill these neighborhoods with those kinds of messages. Mm. But yet and still, we have an abundance of information flowing in from all different sources. We have access to a lot of information, but the choice to actually seek it out may not be as aggressive or the motivation to seek it out may not be there. So that to me is the differentiator. So to your point. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. So I trying to figure out the name of the brand. I was trying to rack it in my brain. I don't think it's Skims. That's Kim Kardashian, I think. But there was another brand similar to that, whether it was an underwear brand or something, another women's line. And the creator, when she was just getting Spanx. off the ground, Spanx. Spanx, that's the one. Yes, thank you. Spanks. And so she was getting off the ground. She actually paid people to go into department stores several times a week and ask for the product. And so <laughs> it created demand and people started yeah. buying and she started getting orders for the product. Then that got it in front of people who started demanding the product more. And now it's a billion dollar organization. So if you and a hundred friends consistently go into the same stores week after week and ask for the same products, do you have this beef? Do you have these things? Can you get less of this and more of this? They're going to start changing because you do vote with your voice and with your dollar, even on a micro scale. Maybe it's just your own neighborhood, but that seed will spread. It just takes effort. Unfortunately, a lot of us are busy. We don't want to be inconvenienced. The fast food is easy. It's delicious. It's convenient. It's cheap. And so to put that effort in, to maybe it takes a couple of days, maybe it takes months of pressure, but eventually these stores, these local communities will bring these foods in. And if there's enough demand for it, they can bring in enough bulk, then it can come in at a reasonable enough price and you can now have that as a staple. So you can vote more so than I think a lot of us think we can. Yeah, I think things are maybe getting a little bit better in some of the box stores. It's been mm-hmm. noted that Costco and Walmart are the, the largest provider of organic fruits and vegetables out of the box stores, which is a good sign, I'd imagine. But I still defer to the local growers. Yes. <laughs> it just tastes better. Have you ever tasted a carrot from a local grower or a local farmer versus a carrot, even if it's organic from the supermarket? Night and day. A different experience. Yeah. My mother-in-law actually grows a lot of her own veg and she made a salad with just the stuff she grew in the garden. It was one of the best things I've ever tasted. Absolutely. But A lot of that just has to do with our soil quality. We look at mega manufacturing and monocropping. Our soil is dead. It's tilled and we turn it over constantly. And tilling soil actually kills the microbiomes, the bacteria, this ecosystem of microbes that create things. And so we lose carbon cycling or biogeochemical cycling. The best example I can give. So imagine Jeanette, you have a little farm and an apple falls off the tree. It gets into the ground, it decomposes. From there, it provides nutrients to the soil. Grass grows. A cow eats the grass, you eat that cow. That is biogeochemical cycling. And we lack that. Now our food, because of the mega manufacturing and these monocropping and hundreds of millions of acres of farmland, just tilling soil, dropping seed, pouring pesticides and fertilizers, it's all dead. Our soil is now just dirt to hold a seed artificially grown. And so some studies will suggest, and there was a University of Texas back in, I think, 0405 did a study, and there were suggestions that you'd have to eat eight oranges today to get the same nutrients as your great-grandmother would have in one orange back then. And so our food is very different than it ever used to be, which I believe is another reason we're all so sick, is because even the nutrients, we're not getting enough nutrition in our food. We're getting our calories in, sure. We're not getting enough nutrients. Josh, if you took the full body of the work that you do and had to summarize the mission that you're on why it matters. Okay. How would you do that? Mm. I think there's two fields. One of the most fulfilling things I see I've ever had in my life is making people feel better. That's a superpower I've always wanted. Great example of that. There was a five-year-old boy diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Excuse me. This five-year-old boy was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and his doctor was wanting to give him all these drugs and put him on biologics and immunosuppressive. He's five and it's going to mess up his body for the rest of his life. And it just didn't add up. I got a stool sample. His GI map was a mess. His bacteria was all over the place. Didn't add up. I got a urine sample full. 
and full of mold. We test for up to 30 different strains. He had all of them. And so that explains everything going on in his body and we can remove it. Now this little boy at five years old, he can run, he can play. He used to limp and hobble around because his joints were hurting. He was in the bathroom 10 times a day bleeding at five years old. And now he has his life back. And that to me is the most fulfilling thing I can ever do in my career. I love it. I love seeing these people get better and giving their quality of life back. Number two, I have a personal vendetta. I want to bankrupt Big Pharma. They are one of the most corrupt organizations. Straight evil, if you ask me. Look at Mabendazole. It's an anti-parasitic drug that had accidentally been used to cure cancer. Stage four cancer in several instances happened to be parasitic driven. It was five cents a pill. Big Pharma caught wind, $555 a pill. And now it's actually been taken off the market. We use all kinds of things like peptides and different therapies for immune modification and very easy to synthesize, relatively affordable. The FDA has now banned them. So you have to use pharmaceutical drugs, which are not nearly as effective. And we see this all the time with all kinds of drugs. I hate Big Pharma. They are one of the most evil corporations and organizations on planet earth. I want to bankrupt them. I want people to have their own autonomy to make themselves healthy and feel better. If I could do that before I die, I would die with peace. 70 plus percent of all commercials in the USA are funded by pharmaceutical companies. They spend, I don't know if it's 10 or 15 times more on advertisements than they do actual research and development. Uh, it's a for-profit business. I think it was Martin Screlly was his name, spokesperson for a big pharma company. He's moved around. He's voted the most hated man in America who has openly said, we're not in the business of getting people better. We're in the business of making money. My responsibility is to my shareholders. And that's the attitude Big Pharma takes when giving you medications. It's all about money. That's a reality check for most people. Well, I certainly mm-hmm. have been enlightened by our conversation. You've broadened my perspective. And also, you've made me realize that there's more work that I need to do from the standpoint of just being much more knowledgeable for my own personal benefit, as well as the ability to share with others again. Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me in the Next Chapter Experience. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissette at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations, so until then, keep that fire burning.